My name is Jacob Parnell, and I'm the preaching minister here for the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. We are in our final lesson in our Forgiven for... That's okay, I'm not worried. Our Forgiven Forgiver series. Uh, So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 this morning. You can make your way uh, to that passage in your Bibles. Luke is in the New Testament. It's the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 7 comes after chapter 6, and uh, that's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. But before we get there, I want to reiterate Ryan's invitation to you all to our church potluck. Once a quarter, we say, hey, let's get together and eat together, because it's important to worship at the church, it's important to contribute to foreign missions together, but we don't want to lose the relational aspect. We want to figure out who likes banana pudding and who doesn't, and you find out that sort of thing by sitting across the table from somebody, and these relationships are, are super valuable. So invest in relationships. Uh, if you are dis- have already decided that you're not going to come to the potluck lunch after church, let me persuade you. I already mentioned the banana pudding, which may or may not be there. I'm just, I'm taking a shot in the dark. Uh, I'll make a lot of promises whether or not I can keep them, but I hope that you will be there. Uh, the Parnells will be there, and we'll look forward to seeing you guys after church together. That's the first thing. What was the second thing? I can't remember it right now, but I'll just go ahead and say uh, Forgiven Forgiver series coming to an end. Like the DTO series on Golden Rule came to an end, and the, the God Creed, Love God, Love Others series came to an end, and the Ephesians series came to an end, Forgiven Forgivers coming to an end. I hope that we take these ideas with us and continue to practice them. I made a joke earlier this week, somebody talking about I need to forgive somebody. I said, ah, that was the last series. I'm already thinking about the next series, but we need to continue practicing what we've been committing ourselves to. And so this morning, I just want you to think of the last person that irritated you. It may not take very long for you to think about it. It may have happened this morning, maybe even while you've been in worship. Maybe something I've already said since I've been up here rambling on is just kind of making you go, what are you doing, guy? But think of the last person that irritated you or frustrated you or caused you to just kind of feel offended. And with that person in mind, I've got mine in mind, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the words that you have uh, spoken through this series. Thank you for shining light on different parts of your scriptures that is directing us to be more like Jesus, to be those who forgive because we have been forgiven. And as we think about certain things or certain people in our lives that have affected us negatively, offended us, frustrated us, even as recent as today, God, uh, we turn them over to you. And we say, teach us to be compassionate. Teach us to be loving. Give us the eyes to see your children the way that you see them. Let us not miss what you're doing among us, the way that your spirit is constantly moving. Help us to become forgiven forgivers. Even as we stop talking about forgiveness as specifically as we have these last two months, I pray that you continue to change and transform our hearts and give us opportunities to change and be the kind of children that you have raised, the kind of children that you long for us to be. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So, one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, a lot of people love this movie. A lot of people hate this movie. It's a very, like, polarizing film. And uh, some people consider it to be a Christmas movie, which it gets 
broken out a lot at Christmas time, but like 95% of the movie has nothing to do with Christmas. So I feel okay talking about it here at the end of February. I'm getting an amen from Ryan in the back. Not really a Christmas movie. It's a story of a man uh, and his life, and it's basically a story about a guy named George Bailey who begins to start to be frustrated with life. He has a wonderful life, but he starts to take it for granted. He doesn't appreciate the things that he has. He starts to realize that his life is very predictable, and that makes him sad. He goes, ah, it's, my life's always the way I left it. Uh, of course I'm going to have a mother who has two sons. Of course I'm going to have a wife I come home to at the end of the day, and five screaming kids, and uh, I got this job where a lot of people are depending on me, and I've given my, my sweat and my blood and my tears to this crummy little town, and he's just feeling really sad about it. What, what do I have to show for it? He thinks that he has everything figured out, but he comes to find out that he's wrong. He gets this opportunity to see his life as though he had never been born. And then he starts to go to these people that he took for granted, these people that he loved, these people that he longs to have a relationship with, and they don't recognize him. And they go, who are you? And he's, it's the strangest thing, and he's just sad. One encounter after another, he comes to realize he did have a wonderful life all along. And I'm thinking about this story this week as I'm looking at this text in Luke chapter 7 because that's kind of what happens with a man named Simon that Jesus encounters. He looks at his life and he thinks that he has everything figured out as well. And just as George Bailey came to find out that he was wrong about what he thought he knew, Simon is going to encounter Jesus and he's going to find out that he's wrong about what he thought he knew all along. So let's take a look at this story and see what Jesus has to say to Simon the Pharisee. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, 
Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This story takes place relatively early on in the Gospel of Luke. But even at this point in chapter 7, Jesus has already started to ruffle some feathers. He's been healing people in his hometown of Nazareth, sometimes on the Sabbath, which is a major no-no. He's been associating with notable no-goodniks in town. He gives this sermon in chapter 6. It's a lot like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And the things that he's teaching, the things that he's challenging the people to are very counter-cultural. And people are confused by Jesus. Even the people who follow John the Baptist who said, hey, he's the Messiah. Go listen to him. Go follow him. They start to come back and say, are you, are you really the Messiah? Should we be waiting for somebody else? Because it's not really adding up here. People don't quite know what to make of Jesus. And it's no different here in the home of Simon the Pharisee. Jesus observes Simon's attitude toward this woman and toward Jesus himself, and then he tells him a simple story that has an easy answer to it. And I want to give you guys a tip. If you guys are followers of Jesus and you want to prepare yourselves for the things that Jesus challenges you to, here's something you should know about. If Jesus tells you a story, you're in the story, okay? If Jesus, if you ask a hard question or you behave a certain way and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to tell you a story, be ready because you are a character in that story. So Jesus tells the story to Simon. I've got a story for you, Simon. There's two guys. They both owe money. One owed a lot of money. One owed a little bit of money. Okay? Now, which one is more appreciative of having the debt forgiven? Simon says, that's easy. The one who had more, right? Obviously, so what? And Jesus says, well, this story's kind of like you, kind of like her. She knows her sins, and she believes that I have power to show mercy and compassion. And because of that, just look at her love and her gratitude. It's obvious to everybody here. Then there's you, on the other hand, Simon. You think that you're without sin, but you're wrong. For now, let's just leave aside all of the, the self-righteousness, your textbook examples of being a religious person who completely misses the point. We'll talk about that later, maybe. But let's just look at the two different ways that each of you treated me tonight. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I arrived. You didn't greet me with a kiss when I showed up. And by the way, if you think that's weird that uh, someone should touch someone's feet and greet them with a kiss, that was a, that was a cultural thing. You don't necessarily need to do that today. In fact, if I come over to your house, I prefer that you don't kiss me and touch my feet. But you could offer me a beverage. You could give me a comfy place to sit. That's kind of what they're, they're talking about here. You didn't give me any oil for my head, but she's anointing my feet with really expensive perfume. She has treated me with respect. You forgot to do this. You said... I don't know if he said this or not, but we know that he thought this. Oh, is this man a real prophet? Does he realize the kind of woman who is touching him? You didn't think I was a real prophet. You didn't think she was a real human being. Essentially, Jesus points out that Simon, as comfortable and as secure as he is in his own self-righteousness, in his own rightness, is actually wrong. He thought he had everything figured out, but he was wrong. George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life, was so sure that things were bad that he was missing out on this good life that he was promised. But it turns out he was wrong. He really did have a wonderful life all along. Simon was just the opposite. 
He was so sure that everything in his life was right. He dressed right. He prayed right. He fasted right. He Sabbathed right. He picked his friends right. He was so sure that he was so right. And guess what he finds out? He was wrong. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Simon was blind to his need for forgiveness. If Jesus tells you a story, you're in the story. We've heard this story today. So we should ask ourselves, who am I in this story? Am I the person that has everything and everybody figured out, that I've got everybody in their proper category? Am I always right and other people are often wrong? Or are you more like the woman in this story? Are you a redeemed, restored sinner? Are you so overwhelmed with gratitude for the grace and forgiveness that you've received that it makes you weep? This is a, this is a challenging example in this story. Think of how much this woman was moved by her closeness with Jesus, by the forgiveness that she received, just being in the presence of Jesus. I'll let you guys on a little side note. Uh, I don't like crying. Uh, personally, I don't like crying. I try to avoid crying whenever I can. Uh, and I think the reason for that is when I was a kid, uh, I had a lot of bad experiences where uh, I cried like at a sleepover or something, and then my friends made fun of me for crying, and I was like, okay, well, then I'll never cry again. I'll, I learned my lesson there. I don't like crying. But I think about this woman. It's hard for me to imagine somebody who has moved so much that they, they produce so many tears that it could wash someone's feet. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of love. A lot of emotion she feels toward Jesus. As I think about this story, whether or not you're with me, whether you don't mind crying or you don't want to cry, we can ask ourselves, do we have that same kind of love in our hearts for the Lord? Do we realize just how loved we are and how valuable that gift of love and forgiveness really is? Does it humble me? Does it make me grateful? Does it bring me joy? Jesus tells me this story, then, then I'm in the story. Who do I want to be in this story? Jesus makes a connection between how much you've been forgiven and how much you love. He says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And I think you might be able to reverse engineer this statement and see that the way that we love others is an indicator of how much we understand God's love. And how much we realize and appreciate the truth that we have been forgiven of our sins. If you've had a hard time loving people, maybe like Simon did, then maybe, maybe you don't understand forgiveness. Maybe it's something that you think you get, but it's not really making its way from here to here to here. Maybe you're a kind of person that thinks that you don't need forgiveness. Maybe your attitude is something like, well, I work hard at being a good person. Forgiveness is something that the bad people need, and I'm glad that the Lord gives it to them. But I, I'm not the bad people. I'm the good people. Or maybe you think you're a bad person and you need forgiveness, but maybe you're skeptical about whether or not the love and the forgiveness, the grace and mercy of God can actually help you. Maybe your mindset is, oh, I'm such a bad person, 
even forgiveness can't save me, so what I'm going to do is, is work really hard at, at being better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there on my own. Either one of those attitudes kind of rejects the need for the cross. You don't need Jesus in either of those positions. You're contradicting the gospel. And maybe we need to realize that's not how the gospel works. The story of our relationship with God, we need to realize, both starts and ends with God saying, I love you. At the very beginning of time, God said, I love you. That's a truth that we need to understand. Even before you were born, God loved you. Even before you knew who God was, God loved you. Even when you were living far away from God, God still loves you. And I could go throughout your whole life. Your ups and your downs, God still says, I treasure you, I value you, I love you. I'm going to send my son to die for you. Let's fast forward all the way to today. You might be thinking, oh, yeah, but I kind of blew it this morning. I snapped at my family. (laughs) I wasn't very kind. I wasn't very Christ-like. You know what God thinks? He thinks he loves you. Jacob, there's things in my life that I can't even mention. There's things in my life that you can't ever find out about. I'm not going to tell them to you, but they're shameful, disgraceful things. God still loves you. God's love at the beginning, God's love till the end, God's love in the present right now. That is something that we need to understand. And maybe we get that. Maybe you agree with that. But maybe it's something that you've heard for so long that maybe you've become jaded to it. I think if you've been following Jesus for a while, you hear the gospel story, you hear some of these these encounters of Jesus, this compassion uh, with women who cry on his feet and things like that, and you go, okay, yeah, I know this, I know this, I get it. You start to become a little desensitized to it. I think like George Bailey, we can forget how much we've been forgiven. I think that salvation in Christ is something that's easy to get used to and start to take for granted. I can attest to that. I've been in church my whole life. I heard a story one time about a missionary family that was hosting somebody who came over from an underdeveloped country that they supported. So they were excited that they got to to host this person uh, and show them all the cool technologies and all these fancy things that they've never experienced before. So the family's excited. The day arrives. They go to the airport. They pick up this person. And they bring them back in their fancy SUV, and they drive 70 miles an hour on a smooth road. And they're saying, like, hey, hey, you know, what do you think? This pretty nice car. It's a pretty smooth road, right? And the guest is like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. They take them to In-N-Out Burger, and they're going to teach them the joys of the drive through window. And they, they, they get dinner, and they give him his first double-double, and they go like, hey, hey, what do you think? In-N-Out, right? Yeah? Cool, huh? And then they drive this person home. And they push the button, and the automatic garage door opener magically opens up a hole into their house that they drive right into. And they say, hey, what do you think? Garage door opener, right? And then the kids come down, and they show all of their toys to this, this guest and all their gadgets that light up, and they make noise, and their screens. And then they decide, oh, we're going to show them the, the refrigerator full of food. And then, oh, let's take them over to the living room and show them the flat screen and break out the Xbox and be like, look, you can control what's happening on the screen. Huh? Huh? Isn't this cool? And he tries to figure it out and goes, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's been a long day. So they take him upstairs to the guest room, and they show him maybe the coolest thing 
of all. Say, okay, this is your bed. This is where you get to sleep. But when you get tired, all you got to do to turn the lights out is just boom. The lights go off all on their own. And if you want the lights back on, you clap and they come back on. Eh? Eh? The clapper. Clap on, clap on. Isn't that cool? And then they all go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, the husband hears something downstairs in the kitchen. So he goes down to investigate. And uh, he sees this guest, and he's standing at the, the water faucet. And he's turning on the water, and he's turning off the water. Turns on the water, and he turns it back off again. And then he realizes that he has an audience. So he says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to, to keep you up or anything. It's just, it's just amazing to me that you guys have clean water that you don't have to walk for, and it comes right into your house. And all I've got to do is just... Just turn on this lever. That's amazing. It's interesting that of all the cool, shiny technologies that they enjoyed and they appreciated and they thought that he would be impressed with, the thing that stood out to him the most was the one thing that all of them had taken for granted a long time ago. The clean, pure, easy access that they had to water. I think that's how it can be with us and the forgiveness of God. We forget how precious and how valuable and how wonderful it is in our lives. We don't want to lose that. New Christians have this energy about them, right? They've heard the gospel for the first time and they want to talk about it. They want to go up to the old dogs in the church and be like, Salvation in Christ is awesome. What are we going to do? What are, how are we going to share this with people? Let's, let's go do something. Let's go live for Christ. Sometimes old dogs go like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's cool, but uh, I've been spending a lot of my time with this garage door opener lately. Yeah, this is pretty cool over here. Isn't that neat? And the most valuable thing that we have as a church is something that we can start to take for granted. But we can't do that. We can't become like Simon in this story. Simon was someone who dedicated his life to the Lord. He was a Pharisee. He, he knew the Torah. He knew the Word of God. He thought that he was close with God. But when he started taking the basics for granted, he started getting distracted by shiny objects and different conversations about who's in and who's out, who's clean and unclean, and just kind of started to miss the point. Jesus comes in and he tells him a story. And if Jesus tells you a story, you're in the story. Now, we don't know what happened to Simon the Pharisee. We don't hear anything else about him uh, in the rest of the Gospels. I wish we knew. I wish we could say he learned his lesson. Maybe that had an effect on him and he became a follower of Jesus. Maybe he was a leader in the early church. But we don't know. We don't know if he changed his ways. We don't know what happened the next time he hosted a dinner party. Did he put out the bowl of water? I bet he did. I bet he'll remember that part. But did he write off Jesus as being an unclean, false prophet? Or maybe he learned from him. Maybe when he heard the news of the resurrection of Jesus, maybe he came to believe that he was the Messiah. But, like I said, we just don't know. We don't know what happened to Simon. But we can hear this story, and we can decide how we are going to receive the good news that God loves us, that Jesus died for us, and that we have been forgiven. 
And we can appreciate our appreciation, we can increase our appreciation for something that we may have taken for granted. We can realize that we've been forgiven a lot and that frees us to go and love God and love others a lot. If we know how much we're loved by God, then it should increase our compassion and it will give us the capacity to stop judging people and realize that the good news is what changes hearts, not me or the hard work that I put in. Our teenagers have been studying through a series uh, based on a book called Love Does by Bob Goff uh, on Wednesday nights. They've been reading about these, these messages that are inspired by Jesus just to go and love people. That's what Jesus did. He loved people. And that's what Bob is trying to do. And that's the challenges the teens have been putting to one another. Like, go out and love somebody. And I want to share a quote with you uh, that Justin reminded me of. This is Bob Goff talking about his attitude of being a Jesus follower. He says, I used to want to fix people. Now I just want to love them. I think that's a good word for me. Because like I said, I've been in church a long time. It's very tempting to fix people. Very tempting to make a list of all the people that irritate you and go, man, they need Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to fix them. I can relate to this. I used to want to fix people. Now I just want to love them. I think that's a, that's a healthy attitude. If you hear the message this morning about Simon and this woman and Jesus, and you realize that you need to be less like Simon and more like the weeping woman who experienced forgiveness, then that's good. Right? That, that's, that's a good thing. I, I want to encourage you, if you've been convicted by this story, maybe you look in the mirror and see a little some Simon characteristics there, and maybe tell somebody about that. Say, you know what? That is how I see people. I want to love more. I want to appreciate the forgiveness in Christ that I have more, like this woman. Talk to somebody about that. Let them hold you accountable. It can lead to transformation. It can keep this concept of being a forgiven forgiver going. But honestly, that's not my goal this morning. It's not to make you feel guilty. My goal this morning is for us all to come to a greater understanding of just how much we are loved by God. Something that you may have known but may have forgotten. Or you may understand, but it doesn't impact you on an emotional level. And so to remind us of this this morning, this is how I want to close us out. I want you to meditate on some words about God's love for us that come from Scripture. I'm going to put some Scriptures up on the screen, and I'll put them up there. There's only like five or six passages, and I'll put them up there for a minute or so. And I want you to read them silently to yourself, and I want you to be reminded of how much God loves you. But, because like I said, sometimes if you've, you've probably heard all these scriptures before, you may be somewhat desensitized to them. I have changed them slightly to help them be more personal for you. Uh, I've taken out the pronouns, most of the pronouns from these scriptures, and instead I put a blank space. And when you read this in your head and you come to a blank space, I want you to insert your own name as a reminder that God's love is not just some concept that's floating around in the clouds, but it's personal, and it's something that God has done for you and God directs toward you. So here's an example so you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, For God so loved Jacob that he gave his one and only son, that if Jacob believes in him, Jacob will not perish, but have eternal life. There's a few more of these. So I'm going to sit down, 
And I'm going to advance these, and I want you to just, like I said, read them silently. Be reminded of God's great love toward you personally. Insert your name here. If Jesus tells you a story, you're in the story. And this is the story of God's love, not just to general people somewhere. This is the story of God's love for you. So I hope you find yourself in this story.